Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Today's Bible reading is 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirits. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thank you, Nathan. Good morning, everyone. Excellent. Nice to hear from you both. Hey, um, Sango, our illustrious uh, service host, turned 40 yesterday, so make, make sure you say happy birthday, Sanger. And um, unfortunately, he was led into error, because the newsletter says the new friend's lunch is on October 2nd, and it's actually October the 9th, most definitely the 9th. And if you would like to come, please register out at the hub, so it'd be definitely the 9th. This week, as I was preparing for this um, message, I was reading a story about a, a man called Joe. Now, Joe was well known for his positive attitude. 
whenever someone said to Joe, how are you, mate? He would always say, great, fantastic, top of the world. Couldn't be better. Now, Joe, like all of us, went through you know various different circumstances in life, sometimes good, sometimes um, not so good. But regardless of the circumstances, whenever people said, how are you, Joe? It was always, great. He was well known for his positive attitude. Now, Joe was quite successful in life and ended up um, having his own business. And one day he turned up at work. He was the first one there. He unlocked, he went in, and then just behind him, three armed bandits broke in. And uh, one of them had a gun and uh, told him to open the safe. Now, John, uh, Joe's uh, hands were shaking with nerves, and uh, so he, he, he got the combination wrong the first time. And this uh, thief was a bit tr- trigger-happy and actually shot Joe in the hand and um, ruined his hand. Turned out someone heard the gunshot, called the police. Uh, the police came, the, the guys got away, but um, Joe was in a pretty bad way. So the, an, an ambulance came, and he was the paramedics loaded him into the ambulance and took him to the hospital. As Joe arrived at the hospital, he, could, he was still conscious, and he could tell by the looks on people's faces and the look in their eyes, he could tell that it wasn't, it wasn't really good, that uh, the news was going to be bad. And as they wheeled him into the operating theatre, one of the nurses said, asked him if he was allergic to anything. And Joe said, yes. He said, yes, I think I'm allergic to bullets. <laughs> and the, the person who was writing this story um, that I was reading said, a couple of months later, he went to visit Joe and he hadn't seen him since the, the surgery. And he said to Joe, how are you? And Joe said, great, top of the world, fantastic. Would you like to look at my scars? Because Joe had completely lost the use of his hand but he still had his positive attitude. And this man said, Joe, how do you do it? How do you always stay so positive? And Joe said, well, every day I wake up and I have a choice. I can look at all the problems in life and I can be miserable and let them overwhelm me or I can choose to be positive and choose to be happy and every day I choose to be happy. And so Joe was well known for his attitude and it was, it was outstanding, it was remarkable, it was noteworthy and people would always comment on Joe's attitude. See, attitudes are important. And verse 1 in today's passage tells us to arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus. Now, you may think that sounds great, but I've never met Jesus in the flesh. What was his attitude? Fair question. So you'll need to turn in in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. And I encourage you to do that later and read it for yourself because it's a great chapter and a great book. But let me summarise for you that Philippians chapter 2 tells us the attitude of Jesus, that Jesus humbled himself. Jesus, who was equal with God, chose to humble himself and take on the form of a human. And not just any human, but the form of a servant. And Jesus chose to suffer, even suffer to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus chose the attitude of servant, service and suffering. In Isaiah chapter 53, it's talking about Jesus and it describes him like a, a suffering servant. And that is a remarkable attitude. I know some people, you probably write your bucket lists and your five-year goals and all the things you'd like to do in your life. And how many of you have got on there, I'd really like to suffer. I'm really hoping to serve. Maybe not, but that is the attitude of Jesus and that is the attitude that we are asked to have. Jesus had a remarkable attitude and our attitude should be the same as his. This whole series we're doing through the book of First Peter is called Aliens. Because as followers of Jesus, we are different from the world around us. And if our attitude is the same as the attitude of Jesus, people will notice 
that attitude and it will be different and it will be remarkable and noteworthy and they will ask, what is, what, what is the difference? Remember Pastor Luke talked last week about always being ready with an answer for the hope that, that is within us. And if we do genuinely have the attitude of Jesus, we are more likely to be asked more often what it is and why we are different and why we are aliens in this world. So Jesus had an attitude of being willing to suffer and being willing to serve. So let's talk this morning about suffering and serving. Verse 12 says, Do not be surprised if you suffer. And we shouldn't. If you read Bible history and church history, you'll know that people have suffered for being followers of God. Right back in the Old Testament, the prophets, Jeremiah, was thrown into a, a well because they were sick of him preaching about God. Elijah was basically uh, on the run because King Ahab was tired of Elijah telling him what God said. Ahab didn't want to hear it, so he just he wanted to kill Elijah and he was on the run. Jesus himself obviously suffered, not just the physical suffering, but also being, you know, being rejected by the, the religious authorities, being betrayed by his friends. You get to the book of Acts and there's a guy called Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and his goal in life was to persecute these followers of Jesus. He arrested them, put them in jail, beat them up, kill them if necessary, until he himself had an encounter with Jesus and then became a, a devout follower of Jesus. And for the rest of his life, he suffered for his faith. He was imprisoned and abandoned and rejected. And right up until in today, in the world today, in some parts of the world, ISIS are still killing Christians simply because they are Christians. Now there's a difference between suffering as Christians and suffering for being Christians. I mean, everyone suffers something in life. We all have pain, we all have hard times. If you haven't figured that out yet, then stand by because it'll happen. But, um, but everyone, being a Christian doesn't make us immune from the sufferings that everyone faces. Everyone in life has hard times and even in this church we have people battling with uh, you know, cancer and unemployment and chronic back pain and all sorts of things. And being in church leadership certainly doesn't make you immune or doesn't make your family immune. Because even among our church leaders, we have children with uh, diabetes and epilepsy and drug addiction and all sorts of different issues. So being a Christian doesn't make us immune from all of the normal pain and suffering and trials that everyone goes through. But suffering for Christ means persecution. It means that people will deliberately target us and victimise us simply because of our faith in Jesus. And throughout, Christian, throughout church history, Christians have been, been rejected, abused, beaten up, imprisoned, tortured, sometimes even put to death. Following Jesus is not something we do for fun, but it's something we do because it's important. Back in 64 AD, when Nero was president, oh, president, emperor of, of Rome, <laughs> sorry, Donald Trump, Nero, whatever. Um, when Nero was, was the emperor, he, he, Christians were described as having a, a hatred of civilised society simply because they were different and because they didn't practice the same kind of lifestyle that other people around them. And now in today's world we see that people who want to hold on to a traditional biblical view on various issues are, be, are branded as haters. People who simply want to love God and love his word and love other people and yet they get branded as haters because they don't fit in with the culture that the world wants to follow. 
Sometimes persecution can even come from within, within the church. People who, who grumble and argue and gossip and backstab and criticise, who tell lies. In general, people who don't have the attitude of Jesus, they can cause unrest even within the church. And sadly, persecution doesn't always just come from outside. How we handle persecution is entirely up to us. You can, of course, choose to just to, well, deny your faith and keep everyone happy and just go with the flow. Not not what I would, would recommend, but we all have that choice. Or we can choose to stand up for it, for Jesus, stand on our convictions and accept the consequences, whatever they may be. A few years ago, I heard this story that it was a young young group of Australian guys who formed a, a band, a, a Christian band, and they, they travelled around Australia and I actually saw them perform in Ballarat and they were very talented, but it's hard to make a living as a Christ, Christian band in Australia. And they moved over to the USA and uh, they were offered a recording contract. And apparently, the uh, record company said to them, basically, look, we love, we love your music, we love your sound, but your lyrics are a bit... You know, a bit over the top. We've done some market research. This Christianity stuff, you know, it's a lost cause. It's in decline. Um, it's, all your testimonies and stuff, that's great for church, but, you know, we, you need to leave it aside. Basically, tone down your lyrics and we will give you a contract and we will make you famous. That is basically what the record company said to them. And they sent them away. Go and write us another song and come back and we'll see how we like it. So these guys got together and they came back. And this is part of the song that they wrote. This one warns it's a lost cause, save your testimonies for church time. The other one states, you'd better wait until you do a little market research. I'm saying, no way, no way. I'm not ashamed to let you know. I want this light in me to show. I'm not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Now those young guys, there was a band called Newsboys. You've probably heard of them. They're doing pretty well for themselves. (laughs) I think God has blessed them for their obedience. Recently, as you know, we had a, a trivia night at church and uh, Luke and I, as pastors, we were... Oh, great. Anyway, Luke and I had the, uh, the great honour and privilege of blessing of suffering because we're pastors. And I uh, had the enormous blessing of having cream pies thrown in our face. Now, I've got to point out, though, the cream pie that was thrown in my face was, was cherry-flavoured, and the one that Luke got was asparagus-flavoured. So, uh, so Luke suffered a whole lot more than I did, so I was truly blessed, even though I was suffering. And uh, I think Luke's still wiping the smell out of his nostrils. So when verse 12 says, Don't be surprised at the trials you suffer. In fact, be pleased that you are considered worthy to share in the suffering of Jesus. As we sang earlier and Hannah shared so beautifully with us, the joy of the Lord truly is our strength through all circumstances. Now, I need to specify here, when we suffer for Christ, is that because God has abandoned us? No, definitely not. When we suffer for Christ, is that because we lack faith or because we have committed some terrible sin? No, definitely not. When we suffer for Christ, it is simply because we are for Christ. But ultimately, what the world thinks about God or his people is irrelevant to us. The only thing that really matters is what God says and what God thinks. 
<clears throat> so the book of First Peter and the whole Bible, it doesn't sugarcoat anything, it doesn't promise, overpromise. Peter admits there will be hard times that we are subject to persecution. But there is also the promise of what is to come. And we know from reading through the Bible that the promise of what is to come is eternal life in heaven with God. Peter, in this book, uses phrases like new birth, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, an inheritance that can never perish, an inexpressible and glorious joy. The Bible promises, gives us hope for the world to come. And in in light of eternity, all of the sufferings of this life will seem like a, a tiny little speed bump, a blimp in the spectrum of eternity. And so, so worth it. So in verse 13, when Peter says, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That is a promise we can hold on to. This passage says, you know, that the end is coming. We don't know when that will be, but we know one day Jesus will return in all his glory. And for those of us who have shared in his sufferings, we will then get to share in his glory forever. Now, Luke doesn't want me to talk too long this morning, so that's enough about suffering, except just to remind us that, you know, suffering is a reality of life. It's not much fun, but it's a reality. But also just to remind us that suffering does not last forever. Even if it lasts all of this lifetime, it does not last forever. But the other uh, thing that this passage talks about and the attitude of Jesus that is noticeable is serving. Verse 10 and 11 said to us, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised. Now this got me thinking about the food van that we as a church run. For those of you who don't know, every Tuesday and every Thursday evening we have a food van down at the Pakenham Railway Station and we feed people who are homeless or hurting, people who are doing it tough, uh, people who are needy and uh, basically whoever comes by who needs a feed, we will help them out. Just want to provide some shelter, some comfort and a nice warm feed for people who need it. Now there's a whole variety of people involved in volunteering in, in various different ways and uh, some of them talking and some of them serving, exactly as this passage mentions. <clears throat> we have a, specifically a team set aside, and their role is to talk to people who come for a meal, sit down with them, just offer a word of hope, a listening ear, some encouragement, a welcome, basically just to be Jesus to these hurting, needy people. There's another whole team of people who serve the food, and hopefully they greet people with a smile and and a welcome and serve the food because the talkers, well, no one's really going to come and sit down and talk if there's not food to be had. So the talkers are very important, but also the people who serve the food are very important, using their gifts as part of the team. But the, the servers won't have any food to serve if it wasn't for the chefs who are preparing the food behind the scenes beforehand and bringing it down every Tuesday and every Thursday. So the chefs are a vital part of the team because it all falls apart without them. 
And of course, there's no good serving food and being there to talk if the setup team hasn't turned up two hours early and set up the marquee and the tables and chairs and the heaters and the barbecue and got everything all ready to do. So the setup team is vitally important. And of course, the setup team can't do much if the drivers are not available to bring the trailers to and from the park every Tuesday and every Thursday. And of course, there are two people who spend many hours putting together the rosters and filling out forms to apply for grants so we can pay for the equipment. And the whole thing will quickly fall over if it's not for them. So there's a whole bunch of people all using their different gifts, all contributing, all working together as a team to make something beautiful happen. And every single part of that team is important. We all have different gifts. We all play different roles. And we're all important. It requires a team effort. Now you may notice, obviously a lot of you people are involved in one or more of those aspects that I just talked about. But you may notice I deliberately did not mention a single name in all of that. Because ultimately, it's not about us. It is all for the glory of God. And if people are doing it for their own purpose and their own glory and their own recognition and their own agenda, well, that's a problem because all of us are doing it to serve God and so that God may be praised. I was talking to someone here just, just recently who's involved in a few different activities and I said, you know, thanks for all the things you do and he said, uh, it's all done as unto the Lord and that is exactly the point of it all. We're all doing it not for ourselves, we're doing it for God. And again, the attitude is important. Verse 9 says to us, offer hospitality to one, to one another without grumbling. I heard a story about a, a family, you know, a young family who invited another family to come and join them for Sunday lunch. So they raced home after church to busily get ready and then their guests arrived and they all sat down around the table to enjoy Sunday lunch together. And the, the mum of the, the host family turned to her eight-year-old daughter and said, Honey, how would you like to say the blessing for us today? Would you say grace? And the eight-year-old said, Mum, I don't know what to say. And Mum says, that's okay, just say whatever you hear me say. Okay, dear God, why in the world did we invite these people for lunch? (laughs) So uh, offer hospitality without grumbling. Again, attitude is the key. So we're all called to serve and to work together to each use our individual gifts so that we can serve God together. The other theme through this chapter, in fact through the whole book, is transformation. The word transformation isn't used through First Peter, but we are all transformed and over and over again it makes the point about life with Jesus and life without and the difference. And whether we like it or not, all of us are being transformed. We're all changing as we go through life. And we're either being transformed by God and by our focus on him or we will be transformed by the culture around us or the people we hang around with. There's an old saying, you become like the company you keep and it's very true and whether we like it or not, we are all change as we go through life. We're being transformed by the influences around us. Now if we look at the author of this book, his name was Peter, first Peter, it's a bit of a clue, isn't it? Um... Peter was one of the 12 apostles. And if we look through his life, as recorded in the Gospels, we see the the difference when he focused on Jesus or when he focused on the problems. So Peter was a fisherman and one day Jesus came past and said, follow me, and Peter did. 
and Peter and a bunch of others. And then there's a story in, in Matthew where, where Jesus walks on the water and Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water with him. Now, Peter's having this unbelievable experience, walking on the water with the Son of God. And then Peter looks around and the wind's blowing and all of a sudden he's afraid of the wind. Like, Son of God, wind, and he's scared of the wind. Like, go figure. But anyway, he starts to sink because he takes his eyes off Jesus and thinks about the problem and straight away he starts to sink and he cries out, help me, and Jesus reaches out his hand and, and lifts him up. A couple of chapters later, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And, you know, some say you're a great prophet and whatever. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And again, Peter's the first one to speak up, the first one to identify. And he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. When Peter focused on Jesus, he knew exactly who Jesus was and how significant and how important. And then just a few verses later, Jesus starts talking about how he needs to go to Jerusalem and how he's going to be put to death. And Peter starts thinking, hang on, Jesus can't die. And he says, no, no, I won't allow it. It's not going to happen. And Jesus has to say, Pete, be quiet. Get behind me. You're a stumbling block. So when he he took his eyes off Jesus and thought about the problem, he caused issues. And then at at the Last Supper, when Jesus is sharing that last meal with his friends and he says, you know, some of you are going to betray and abandon me and Peter says, not me, never, never, ever, you can count on me, I'll never leave you. And then later that same night, after Jesus has been arrested and Peter, Peter said to Peter, hang on, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, no, never heard of him, don't know what you're talking about. So once he took his eyes off Jesus, he had problems. It's not just Peter, this is a common theme for many people. You read the book of Exodus and the whole Israelite community. And if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you'll know that they were slaves in Egypt and they cried out to God, Lord, help us. This is, life is tough. And God heard their prayer and God sends Moses. He says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And through a whole series of, of plagues, like clearly the supernatural intervention of God, an incredible sequence of circumstances, basically the Egyptians finally say, look, just go. Please leave us alone. Take whatever you want. Just go. And so the Israelites are free and they walk free. And the Israelites are excited. Thank you, God. But then Pharaoh's army starts chasing them and there's the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind and now they're thinking, God, you've got this. No, they're thinking, oh, what are we going to do? And then God parts the waters of the Red Sea and they walk across. And they're like, wow, God, you are amazing, God. There is nothing you cannot do. And then about a chapter or two later, oh, we're thirsty. What are we going to drink? Help. How are we ever going to solve this problem? And God provides water from a rock. Oh, good one, God. And then next chapter, oh, we're hungry. Oh, no, we would have been better off slaves in Egypt than being hungry in the desert. And God provides manna from heaven. Oh, wow. Thanks, God. Then they get to the promised land, the land that has been promised to Abraham hundreds of years before, that had been promised again to Moses. This is the promised land that God has promised to give them. And they get there and they send some spies in and come back and go, wow, this land is fabulous. But there's people there and they're big and they're strong. And no, no, what are we going to do? So whenever they looked at God, they were anything was possible. As soon as they look at the problem, life overwhelms them. When people focus on Jesus, they can deal with any problem. When people focus on the problem, life seems terribly hard. Now, the lesson for us as individuals, I don't know the circumstances of each of your lives, 
So you can apply that for yourselves. But for us as a church, I hope that we will always keep our eyes on Jesus and not keep our eyes on the problems. See, we could focus on the on the problem. We could say, oh, there's so many new people here. How are we going to fit them in? Or we could say, wow, God, you've blessed us with so many people already. I can't wait to see who arrives next. We might say, wow, God, you've provided us with a property already. Even though we're only 15 months old, this is sensational. Or we could say, oh, no, how are we going to ever afford to put a building on it? Or we can just say, wow, God, I can't wait to see how you're going to provide next. We can look at the food van and say, wow, God, thanks for opening the doors to this fantastic opportunity for us to bless our community. Or we might think, oh, no, it's so much work for so many people. How will we maintain it? So I hope that collectively we will always keep our eyes on Jesus and the promise and not look at the problem. Let's praise God for his provision and trust God for the future. Focus on the promise, not the problem. And always fix our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the key. See, when we come to God, we come to God empty-handed, hurting, broken, alone, helpless, and without hope. And after an encounter with God, we come away transformed with purpose, with peace, with joy, and most of all, with hope, not just for this life, but the life to come. So to summarise today, we all need to have the attitude of Jesus, be willing to serve, be willing to suffer, to have humility, all for the glory of God. We all need to play our part in serving God and serving others, each of us using whatever gifts we have to work collectively as a team for God's glory. And let Jesus be the one who transforms us, not our culture, not other people, not the world around us. Let us always focus on Jesus, on loving him and obeying him and serving 